This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. You're listening to the Husker CuzCast Sports Show. Now, here's Justin Fielder, Derek Stafford, and Tyler Schaefer. Hello and welcome to the Husker CuzCast Sports Show. Justin here along with the cousins Derek and Tyler. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Husker CuzCast for all podcast updates and more. Fun show planned for tonight. Week one is now in the books. So we will recap the 52-17 Husker loss to Ohio State. And then Asher Lowe of the Locked On Badgers podcast and site editor at Badgers Wire will join us to break down the Nebraska-Wisconsin game. So let's get into the Ohio State game here. Uh, Let's begin with the offense, Tyler. Where did Nebraska look good? I think you look at the quarterbacks, and let's just uh, take a second to applaud Derek and I for pretty accurately depicting uh, how Luke McCaffrey would be used. Yeah, Um, good job. We saw Luke McCaffrey all over the field. We saw uh, both of them in the backfield. We saw Luke at running back. We saw him at wide receiver. Um, We saw him at quarterback. Um, You know, definitely more at quarterback at the end of the game in the one series without Adrian Martinez and. The quarterbacks, uh, both Luke McCaffrey and Adrian Martinez, looked good. Um, you know, if you look at the strength of this team after Week One, you have to start there. Derek, do you agree? Absolutely. You know, I mean, Nebraska threw for eighty percent of their passes. I know we didn't throw for a lot. I mean, but it was a hundred forty yard, hundred sixty yards compared to last year's forty-seven and forty-seven percent passing. So that's a huge improvement there. Uh, you know, uh, the run game, I I know it was mostly quarterback runs, but man, last year we struggled to even run the ball. And this year we're averaging over six yards a carry. Uh, overall the offense looked pretty good. It was just, uh, some mistakes that got made. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I overall, I was pretty impressed with the offensive line. I thought their blocking was really well. Uh, I thought they made good decisions. I thought they, I thought they protected well in, in pass protection. Uh, I, I mean, it just, I, I, it was a much improved game over last year. I don't, I don't care what the score was. Just by looking at the game itself, it was much improved. Well, it looked like to me that in the first half, we looked like that we belonged on the field with Ohio State, and we can't really say that you know for for a majority of the games we just don't we've never looked like we belonged on the field with them this year in the first half we damn sure did we hung in there with them and you know it kind of dwindled away uh but the quarterbacks that we have adrian martinez you can tell that he's healthy he looks good he looks comfortable when he ran the ball i mean i couldn't be more pleased with adrian and i've been highly critical of adrian martinez right uh, I thought Luke McCaffrey. I thought he was very explosive when he was uh, when he was in and he had the ball. And you know, I, I kind of joke about this. You know that uh, they didn't release the depth chart because Luke McCaffrey would have been on the depth chart at every single position. You guys called it. You know, he was kind of a Swiss Army knife, and he looked so good doing it. You know, it didn't matter what he did. That dude can do it all. And uh, so I was really pleased uh, with the two quarterback play and just. The offense. I mean, we we put up a lot of yards. Didn't put up a lot of points, but you know, I mean, it was against a very good Ohio State defense. Uh, but God, I, I walked away with. There's a lot of optimism there. I thought. 
Uh, let me ask you this. So I want to get back into that quarterbacks here. Uh, Justin, I kinda, I, I'm not trying to hammer on you here, but uh, Luke McCaffrey threw the ball five times. Like He played a lot throughout the game. He even played some quarterback throughout yeah. a lot of the game. Meaningful snaps, uh, too. Yeah, it was. Uh, but he really didn't throw until it was pretty much out of hand. And he went four for five. Uh, is there, was there still a concern of his throwing? Or, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Because, I mean, four for five, he looked pretty good throwing the ball. So why weren't we throwing him earlier when he was playing? And I, I don't know why we didn't throw with Adrian Martinez more, because he was 13 for 15, I think. Or 12 for 15. 12 for 15. I mean, both of them threw the ball really, really well. Uh, we got the tight ends involved a lot, which I was, which I was very appreciative of. Uh, uh, I know we're going to talk about wide receivers here in a little bit, but uh, why, why didn't we throw the ball more? Why, why didn't we throw it with uh, – and, and look, I don't think there was a big discrepancy between first half and second half. We did throw the ball more in the second half. It wasn't a lot more, but we did throw the ball more in the second half. So I don't think the play calling changed terribly from first half to second half. But it just it concerned me that we weren't really. Uh, I think that was the game plan. I think that was the game plan. Truthfully, uh, and maybe it was. But we'll, I just, we'll I, get, let's get uh, Tyler to chime in here. Well, so let's just let me just. There's three points I want to make on this. One, you mentioned the game plan, Justin. You you wanted us to run the ball more this year. We ran the ball 64 percent of the time. We were definitely a run heavy team. Secondly, when we look at why we didn't pass more, I think a lot of that has to do with how many plays we ran. We ran under 60 plays, which is much less than the normal average. If you, kept, if you get to our normal 75 play count, a lot of these numbers that we maybe have hammered for maybe turns out to be a little bit more normal. And then thirdly, you talked about Luke McCaffrey not throwing. And, and again, I, I know there's a lot of people talking about this being a two-quarterback system. And what I watched on Saturday was not a two-quarterback system. Luke McCaffrey did not take snaps away from Adrian Martinez till the end of the game. There was only one time Luke McCaffrey was at quarterback when Adrian—I'm sorry. There, there was only one series that Luke McCaffrey was on the field that Adrian Martinez wasn't on the field. And that's because Adrian had an equipment issue until the end of the game. This was not them switching series back and forth. This was not them, hey, let's throw eight, uh, Luke McCaffrey out there for a series to see what happens until the end of the game. This was, hey, Adrian Martinez had an equipment issue. Let, we have to play Luke. I, I don't think this is a two-quarterback system. So could we have seen Adrian, Luke throw more? Did he look sufficient in that regard? Yeah, but I don't think he was really put in a position that game to really need to throw it. I mean, when you're really only taking, uh, you know, one meaningful, two meaningful series at quarterback, I guess. I, I don't know there's a lot of opportunities for you to uh, throw it. And again, it goes back to the game plan. So I, that's kind of my synopsis on the, the why we didn't throw more, even though we were very accurate and why you didn't see a little bit more of Luke. All right, let's go ahead and parlay this offensive uh, breakdown with areas of concern. Uh, Derek, what are the areas of concern on the offense? Uh, I, I'm going to start with wide receivers. Uh, I, I do believe it'll get better, but man, we just didn't give the ball to wide receivers much. The only wide receiver that really got uh, a lot of attempts was Wondell Robinson, which you expected, but he still only touched the ball six times. Uh, I thought I thought I, I expected more out of that. 
I expected Cade Warner, who had one one pass thrown to him for sure that I, I know we've kind of gone back and forth on whose fault this really was, but I'm going to stick to the fact that if you're a captain wide receiver and you get both hands on the ball, you need to bring it in. It was zipped a little fast by Adrian Martinez. It was a little high. It was thrown behind him. Cause I think I, but again, I think the route, and when he's seen how much wide open space there was, he should have just stopped and allowed uh, Adrian Martinez to just throw the ball rather than keep running the way he did. Missed opportunity. Uh, missed opportunity it, it for both of them. was a huge missed opportunity because instead of getting a touchdown, we ended up with a field goal. Uh, I, you know, and I, I just there wasn't a lot of uh, – I know Levi Falk got a catch – uh, but mostly it was Wondell Robinson and tight ends getting catches, which I have no problem with the tight ends getting a lot of catches, but uh, we have all this young, great talent at wide receiver. I think we need to see it more. Tyler, what about you? You know, it, it, Well, wide receivers are definitely a concern, and I think – and I, I – I, I, I'm I, I'm going to kind of reserve this for that the season goes on. Here, here's my belief what's going on in the wide receiver. I think Scott Frost, he they've talked about wide receivers that can block. They, they've talked about guys that can do it all. And you look at some of these young guys, and, and with all due respect to Elante Brown and Marcus Fleming, those, those guys are true freshmen. They're not the biggest guys. I, I wonder how adequate they are in the run blocking game and when you had the strategy it appeared to throw run the ball way more than pass I, I just wonder if those guys didn't really fit into the Ohio State plan I think Nebraska had a goal of kind of slowing the game down this was about as slow of a Scott Frost offense as I've seen they ran the ball a lot. I just wonder if they were trying to keep carries a little bit away from Justin Fields and when you're in a run game I don't know if you want to see Elante Brown Marcus Fleming on the field um so I'm going to hold off some judgment on that wide receiver room about the rotation until the season goes on. But to Derek's point, I mean, you, the, the wide receivers were a position that we thought was going to come around this year. We thought the depth in that room would be there. Through one game, it looks like a lot of last year. It looks like we are limited on our resources there. We're not seeing a lot of them. I, I hope this was my theory and that, hey, we didn't want to play these guys because we really wanted that pound the block, uh, rock. As we get closer to a 50-50, we'll see more of the Elante Brown, Marcus Fleming, Xavier Betts, um, Omar Manning when he gets healthy. But, yeah, I, I just I think Chris Hickman was injured. I didn't know that. I think he may have seen him out there more. Um, but ultimately, I, I just I wonder how much of the, the scheme kind of took out some of these younger guys. Well, here's my rebuttal to that, and here's my problem with that is my other concern was we didn't get the ball to Dedrick Mills enough. Uh, like, he should have ran the ball. And the, the, there was two times that we ran him to the outside, and I don't know why we can't figure out that you can't run him to the outside. Get him between the damn tackles because he runs the ball so hard between the tackles. And when, But when you get him to the outside, he struggles with that uh, elusiveness and that speed. Uh, and, and Ronald Tompkins, man, I was so hyped about what that guy did in that game. I, I was blown away. I, I thought what that guy did was great on the, like, three carries that he got. But if you're going to get an outside runner, that's your outside runner, not Dedrick Mills. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Derek. And Dedrick Mills, on that note, like, he carried the ball nine times. Um, he looked okay running the ball. Um, you know, a couple he looked of good the when he was running up the middle. When he got him well, between he the, the tackles, he was getting six, seven yards of carry. Well, a couple of the carries he took, he took at fullback up the middle, and he was doing well with that. Um, no, I, I, again, I don't, I don't think that. But again, I think the play count and how it ended up playing out. Again, I, I, 
meant to look this up, and so if you guys did, I don't know how many fourth quarter carries he had. I feel like he was pretty much done by the fourth quarter. He, again, you, you run 56 plays. I just think that really skews a lot of the stats. Um, you know, if, if this had been a four-quarter game, had we run our normal play, would that number have been up to 15, 17 carries? I mean, if you just do the math, it seems like it probably would have worked out that way. So I don't know if the utilization was that far off. Probably a little light, but well, I think the game kind of took away from what he would could do. And, and maybe you're right. And here's the other biggest concern is the reason the game got out of hand was because we had turnovers, just dumb turnovers. Yeah. Adrian Martinez lost the ball when he barely got his arm touched. Uh, Luke McCaffrey lost a ball that he just lost himself. Uh, he also lost he was a, plowing he, into a crowd of defenders, though. I mean, <laughs> well, I get it. But if you're going to do that, you need to protect the ball. A- a- absolutely. I mean, if they're going to run the ball, they need to protect the ball better. Plain and simple. And, and he he lost a snap that he fell on that killed a drive after we had a dumb penalty. I think it was a false start penalty. Uh, it was just it, it was a little irritating because. The two guys that you expect to hold on to the ball are your quarterbacks. Like you expect them, if you're if you're gonna get a turnover out of them, you're expecting interceptions, not fumbles. Well Scott Frost said it this week. If we're gonna run our quarterbacks like running backs, they have to protect the ball like a running back. Yeah. And so I, I you know, again, I I will say as much as I love that, I, I do I, I don't love that as a long term sustainable play. I I don't love the two quarterback system. I don't like running the quarterbacks as much as we did as a long term sustainable offense. And, and Adrian Martinez has struggled with fumbles since he's been yes. at Nebraska. Absolutely. I think. And as of right, was he at twenty one? He's at twenty one fumbles at Nebraska right now. I, I mean, he's I'm headed in sure junior year. I think it's twenty one. Uh, but but right now, I'm not really overly happy with what Luke McCaffrey's doing. Like you've got a couple fumbles too. I think he had one or two last year too. I mean, well, it's, it's got to be better. It's got to be better. If we're, if we're running the ball with quarterbacks, it's got to be better. You can't drop the ball. The coaching staff wanted to run the quarterbacks, Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey. Uh, Diedrich Mills had nine carries, which matched what Luke McCaffrey had at nine. And then Adrian Martinez ran it for thir- 13 times. So that's where they wanted to run the ball. And then I think uh, Ronald Tompkins had like four carries, actually. So, but I, I got another, I got another question for you guys on on Luke McCaffrey itself. Is would you think he looked as great as he did if it wasn't for that forty seven yard carry? I mean, I I, th- I thought he looked fine. I mean, outside of the fumble, fine. Oh, yeah, okay, he looked fine, but. I mean, he Adrian Martinez looked fine. As explosive as everybody makes him out to be outside of that 47 yards. I, I thought both quarterbacks did a great job. Fine job. I mean, I, I have no outside of the turnovers, I had no complaints by either one of them. I thought well, both and, looked and, good. And again, and let's just remember this, guys. And, and this goes to everything. And I guess we probably should have started here. We were playing the best defense probably in the Big Ten. Yeah. We were playing the best offense in the Big Ten. Uh, we're about to go to that side of the ball. So. Like, what would have happened with Luke McCaffrey and Adrian Martinez, Diedrich Mills, these holes we got if we're playing Iowa or we're playing Illinois or we're playing Purdue? I mean, the, those ga- those plays that, you know, we got tackled or eight-yard gain, I mean, those are 15-yard games or touchdowns if we're playing lesser opponents. Yeah, because, you know, especially in the secondary, if Luke McCaffrey gets into that secondary, there's not a lot of teams that can match his speed. 
in my eyes. I mean, I'm with All with right, his what, speed. What? One last question. This goes more towards uh, Ohio State's defense. Here, was anybody else shocked to see Haskell Garrett out there? He was, remember he was the player we talked about getting shot in the face last week. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. He, yeah, he was he was in the game quite a bit and had some big plays. Yeah, Corey wasn't quite sure what his status was uh, when we talked to him last week about it on the podcast, but he played well. He played well when he got out there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, good for him. Way to recover. Uh, I, I want to talk about one more thing before we get to the defense. Uh, I rewatched the game today, and you know when I was watching that second half, I guess I was overly optimistic about the way that Nebraska played it, hung in there in the first half. I mean, we were right there in the game, and then in the the second half, it just kind of seemed like to me that we weren't aggressive enough. And I kind of watched that, watched it again, and you know. And there's like one case, uh, we, you talked about it, Derek, uh, when Cade Warner was hit in the end zone and dropped the ball, you know. We settled for a field goal right there, and we were on the fourth yard, four yard line, and it was a 24 point game at that point. I thought it was uh, overly conservative of the staff to kick the uh, field goal. I wish I wish we would have gone for a touchdown just to say that, hey, we're going to try to win this. And they kicked a field goal. And, you know, the rest of the time, it just kind of seemed like they were just in it just to just to cruise on through. They were just trying to get the game over with. And I was kind of disappointed in that aspect right there because uh, and maybe I'm mistaken, but geez, even on the rewatch, it still felt like we were in that game in the first half and coming out there. And, and I know, you know, the turnovers, they had a lot to do with it. So once the turnovers came, it was like, OK, let's kind of get out of there. So I guess I kind of understood that at a point. But on that one play where 24 points down, you kick a field goal from the four-yard line. I mean, crazy. I, I, I don't have a problem with that, I guess. Uh, if, you, if you're a little, maybe a little close to get, like get like fourth and two on the two-yard line, maybe you go for it. But I, I didn't have a problem kicking a field goal there. Plus, we need to get a field goal, some, a field goal kicker with some experience. Like, we need to give him some experience. And I, I didn't have a problem kicking a field goal there so much. Uh, I, I, you're just like, you're just like, basically just, okay, we're just trying to get my, out of my here. Biggest, my biggest problem with, if, if you're going to get into play calling and aggressiveness, my biggest problem is third and long. Why is it that we have the same play call every time on third and long? And it's always Adrian Martinez to the outside run. Like, it's never different. If it's third and 20, third and 15, I, I, I get you know, you're probably don't want to risk an interception or something, but at some point you got to start getting aggressive and at least throw it downfield and try we, for something. Because we changed offensive coordinators, we didn't change pit play callers. That's why. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe, I guess, but I, I, I do think it's something that Scott Frost has got to start doing. Like, you got to start getting aggressive on that. Yeah, I mean, he he talks about his players. He wants his players to play with no fear, right? He he's got to do the same. He's got to call call games with no fear. Also, I, I know there was a third. I know there was a third and twenty. It was later in the game, third, late third quarter, early fourth quarter. Uh, Adrian Martinez was still in. It was third and twenty, and he ran that same play, and Adrian Martinez loses two yards on it because everybody knows that's what you're going to do. Yeah, uh, I, and I get not wanting to just throw a hail mary up. That's fine too, but. At least get yourself in a position that maybe a going for a fourth down down that much is a possibility. Well, maybe the playmakers aren't there at the skill positions like what we thought. You know that that is a 
real possibility, truthfully. So, uh, but let's uh, let's get into the defense, Derek. I want to keep it with you here. Where did Nebraska look good on defense? Oh, Nebraska took huge step forward uh, this year, uh, especially in the run defense. Uh, I, I know Justin Fields kind of had a I don't know if you want to call it a career day. He had seventy five yards rushing on us, uh, but you take him out of the game and they've down to one hundred and forty yards rushing, and I'm okay with that. Like we're talking about a team that scorched us last year. Uh, we gave up almost seven yards of carry last year, and we dropped it down to six four point six three. You know, so that's a huge step forward to me. I know they lost J.K. Dobbins, but that uh, Master Teague and Trey Sermon look like two really good running backs. Now, I thought we did a really good job getting the backfield, hitting them. Uh, Justin Fields, the, the one play that just irritated the living shit out of me was, just, was third and 16, and Justin Fields ends up scrambling and takes it up the middle for a first down. And it's like, come on, you got to get that stop. Is that the one where his uh, knee was down? Is that the one? No, no. <laughs> Actually, everybody's, compla- everybody's complaining about that play, and I, I rewatched the game today. That play happened on first down, and then they threw a touchdown in the second play, but it was second and four. So even if you got, even if you consider him down a yard back from the yard line of scrimmage, there's no guarantees that he still didn't throw that, that touchdown pass. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Tyler? What do you think about the uh, defense? Where did they look good? I think we did a good job of rushing the passer. I mean, um, you know, you you saw us get some pressure on Justin Fields again I, against what I feel is among the best offensive lines in the Big Ten. Um, we we showed that we could actually rush the passer a little bit. I think that started with the defensive line. Man, we said some young guys step up with Ty Robinson and Casey Rogers. I thought both of them played a very good game for their really the most meaningful snaps they've taken. Um, it was a weird defensive front. Like I saw a lot of times where we had only two down linemen in that game. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that translate. How much of that was Ohio State versus um, other teams? I, I liked our outside linebacker play. I mean, I think you look at Garrett Nace, Nelson, Caleb Tanner, JoJo Doman. I think Nick Henrik and Poladarius Payne both played well in their snaps. Um, I think that was a position group that I was a little higher on, but I didn't see the depth of that position. Um, and, and again, I think that those were a lot of guys who really took their first meaningful snaps that I talked about. Uh, yeah, I think that looked really good. Um, can we just get to the, the downside of our defenses? Like, Take it away well, with well, areas I, of concern. Actually, well, hold on, hold on. Before you get there, like Tyler, you want to talk about the defensive line. I, I was, I, I tell you what, after that game, I am stoked what this defensive line can do in the future. I, I still think we're a little young, a little green. Uh, but Casey Rogers and Ty Robinson had phenomenal games, I thought. I don't think they had good games. I think they have phenomenal games against probably the best offensive line we're going to see all year. And that includes Ohio, uh, Wisconsin, who I think is probably just a half a notch below what Ohio State is. But those guys looked phenomenal. Uh, outside backer, I was still a little concerned. But, hey. Let's get to the inside linebacker. Will Honus led the team with two sacks. Like, nobody expected that. He was he was all over the field. I thought he looked great. Inside backers were great. Uh, I, man, I tell you what, I, I loved what this defense did overall. Yeah, Will Honus did play a great game, and I, I've been critical of him. I, again, I, I think the front seven showed up. I mean, they, they – you know, for what I thought this defense was going to be, that was not going to be it. 
And so that gives me a lot of optimism. Now, to the negative, what concerned me is what I thought was our best unit was our secondary. And, you know, I know we're going to talk about, you know, we, we just did nothing to disrupt Justin Fields in the past defense. There was no wide receiver that we challenged. And that was by design a lot of ways. You know, we, we were, our goal was we were not going to get beat for big plays. And I think the goal was that, hey, hopefully Justin Fields isn't going to be that insanely accurate and maybe get a little bit of pressure. Maybe you throw him off a little bit. You get some bad passes, but you're not going to be, get beat for the big chunk play. That didn't work at all because he just tore us apart. One of the most accurate games ever. Um, but even with the scheme that we're in, I man, I don't know if it was breakaway. I just, our DBs just did nothing to challenge him. And I know they were playing off the ball, but that was concerning. Like there was very little break on the ball. There was very little attempts to even that, even if you're five yards off, occasionally get in there, break up a pass. Um, you know, the, the, probably one of the better defensive back plays was they, they call us on a bullshit pass interference call where, uh, uh, Cam Taylor Britt, I thought was having really good defense. Deontay Williams came in, um, but outside of that, our defensive backs secondary really underwhelmed, and I think it's really really easy to like chalk that all up to scheme. And some of it is, but I don't think all of it was. That that was very concerning to me. Derek was concerning to you on defense. Well, I, well, I'm going to echo Tyler here, but I, I'm going to go with scheme. That that scheme was bullshit. Uh, we did we didn't dial up a lot of blitzes. We still got some pressure, but we didn't dial up a lot of big blitzes. Uh, we played we played off the ball entirely too much. Tyler, you want to blame the secondary? That I, I guess that's your opinion, but we just played a, a, in a cloud way entirely too often. We put, gave him way too much cushion, and it was easy for a, a quarterback with the skill set of Justin Fields to pick us apart when you're not, when you're not putting any pressure on the wide receivers. Uh, we got killed by two wide receivers. Uh, the rest of them didn't do a whole lot, but I mean, at some point you got to start double covering those two wide receivers or at least get somebody on them. And we didn't have anybody on them. We didn't play any man coverage whatsoever. And this is supposed to be the strength of this defense. And I, I think some man coverage could have maybe at least, threw uh, Justin Fields off a little bit. But when he sees a guy that's not that's open within three or four yards, nobody near him, it's easy to throw that ball. Well, my areas of concern have to do with penalties right now. And dang it, targeting is a – man, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know if uh, Kevin Warren said call targeting on Nebraska as much as you want, but – how, does anybody have? No, I, I forgot to check. I, was, I meant to double check this. How many targeting calls did we actually get called for that guy? Because we had at least one, if not two, that got overturned. Two, two, two of them got overturned. Yeah, two got overturned. So, so, so there was at least four pet, four targeting penalties in that game. Yeah, it was bullshit. Let's just be. Let's just call no, but, it what it the, is. Cam, Cam Taylor Britt, and I and I and I will tell you right now. I felt the utmost uh, sympathy for the guy because they showed him on the sideline crying. He knew he yeah. screwed up, and I and I felt bad for the guy because he he wanted to be in that game. Uh, he's one of our best players. He knows he's screwed for the first half of next game, uh, so I felt really bad for him because because he just made a bad play. Like you led with your head, and it was a targeting penalty, and it should have been a targeting penalty. I don't I don't like the whole. Uh, 
sitting out the first half of next game. I haven't liked that penalty for a long time. But but he deserved to get called for targeting on that penalty because you did nothing. You didn't put your arms out. You didn't do anything. You led with your head and just hit him with your head. Like, that was it. So you deserve to get called for targeting on that. Hey, two thumbs up uh, for Joel Klatt, man. Joel Klatt, he called it out there on the broadcast you, talking about Deont- those uh, Deontay Williams calls. getting called, that was a terrible call. Like, it was. It was it was shoulder to shoulder. It was no different than the JoJo Doman penalty that they called on him and overturned because it wasn't a penalty. It wasn't targeting. The only difference was they said he was uh a defenseless player at that point. But even at that point, it wasn't helmet to helmet. I, I guess he kinda launched himself, but uh I mean it was just a bad penalty. It, it was just Joel Clack called it, out the BS on all these targeting calls and you know how the Big Ten, you know, he, he said, what, what what was it? He said, college football, what do you ex- what do you want him to do? What do you expect him to do? How do you, you know, how do you want him to tackle? And it, it was, they were terrible calls, especially on Deontay Williams. I, I mean, golly. Well, both he tried, he, he, tried, he my... tried to go low. The wide receiver went low with him. So it's like, okay, at, at some point you have to start – uh, pen, uh, not penalizing, but you have to take into a f- consideration what the offensive player intent. Doing you can take it. You get intent is the uh, whole thing. Is what he was hammering for. You know, uh, t- Tyler. What were well, you saying? I, I get. I guess my thing is this. And I first of all, let's just be clear. The, the, these refs, I, and I know it's easy to Monday qu- Monday back Monday quarterback these refs and say, "Oh my God, look at all these shitty calls." They called a terrible game on Nebraska's behalf. Uh, I mean, the targeting calls obviously are going to make the headline, but the the holding was suspect. There was that false start that I've rewatched that play. I don't, I still don't see a wide receiver move. Uh, Justin Fields knee down. I think that the rest called a terrible game. Um, Here's what bothers me about the targeting calls is if you want to call these targeting, then you're an idiot. But if you're going to call it this, like, call it consistent. Because I watched a lot of football on Saturday, and I saw hits just like these hits. Even the Cam Taylor Britt. You want to say he just went all helmet? Yeah, you're, you're right, Derek. I'm not disagreeing. It was targeting. But I saw other players do the same shit, and they're not getting called. Like, it, it just to me, and I'm not, I'm not going to say it's a conspiracy against Nebraska, maybe these refs, but it just doesn't seem consistent across the sport. And when the penalty is so severe, screw the 15 yards, but the penalty of missing the rest of the game and next game, you have to be 100% consistent with a penalty like that. Yeah. There's there's too much on the line. You know, now that they have to, in the second half, you have to miss the first half of the next game. Too much on the line. I mean, these kids have worked way too hard in in an already stressful situation like COVID, like what we have here, you know? Uh, games are in jeopardy. The Wisconsin-Nebraska game is in jeopardy, you know? So they miss that, and then these penalties have to carry over to the next game, to Northwestern? Come on, man. Is that, is that what happens? If this game can't be played, does Cam yeah, Taylor Britt, yeah, do they it, miss go, the first half with Northwestern? Absolutely. Yeah, it carries over. Uh, I don't know if it was John Bishop or something if, that if put that out. If you're playing a bowl game, you miss the first game of the year. So, yeah, it doesn't matter. And, and in a situation like this year, I don't imagine that being changed. It's still going to be the next game that you play, not the next game that you're supposed to play. Yeah, it's it's complete bullshit, and it's just it, it's it's really heartbreaking in this year. But uh, one last thing, uh, I'll, 
player rotation. Tyler, what are your thoughts on player rotation in this game? For the defense? Overall. Well, I, already, I already kind of addressed my offensive thoughts. Um, All right, take defense. Mainly at wide receiver. I think defense, it was fine. I, I think we saw some guys. Um, yeah, I mean, I, again, I think everyone wants to be critical of the wide receiver group. I think they're probably I, – I want to believe there was reasons for this wide receiver rotation sucking so bad. Um, we'll see what it continues to be. Derek, any issues? Uh, no, I thought the rotation was pretty good, really. Uh, you got Ethan Piper in there on offensive line. Uh, I, you saw quite a few outside backers. Uh, I, I, there could have been maybe a little more with inside backers with rotation. Defensive line, you saw a consistent play from five different guys. Uh, again, maybe there's one or two other guys you'd like to see get in there. But uh, overall, I, th- I thought the rotation was pretty good. You know, you brought up Ethan Piper right there. And I didn't even realize he was in the game till after the game. I had no clue. I looked for him That's on the rewatch. Thing, because that means he's doing his job. Yeah. There was no drop-off. I mean, was, that was pretty Not remarkable. Not was there no drop-off, but Bo Wilson's getting called for holding. Even yeah. Piper never got called for holding. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. But, uh, well, let's bring in our guest. We got a we got a good one here. We, we uh I got a guest from a Wisconsin podcast. We now welcome in host of the Locked On Badgers podcast and site editor for Badgers Wire, Asher Lowe. Welcome, Asher. Good to be with you guys. All right, guys. Uh, It's been a crazy news today uh, with the announcement of the confirmed positive COVID test for Graham Mertz. And now the game could be in jeopardy for Saturday. Uh, Asher, can you just break down the events that has led to all this uncertainty here? Yeah, I can I can try. I can't fill in, obviously, all the holes right now because of the way this all works with the HIPAA law and some stuff that can't be confirmed by the university, but I, I can try. So, games played on Friday, of course. We beat Illinois on Friday. The test for Graham Mertz, the first test, so in the Big Ten, you need two tests. Everybody gets a daily POC test, which is a test that is takes like an hour to get back. It's less reliable, according to just like health officials. Obviously, I can't speak to that specifically, but it's less reliable. It's quicker to get back. Everyone takes it every day. Nebraska takes it. Wisconsin takes it. Everybody does it every day. That's been the Big Ten protocol since coming back. That test came back positive for Graham Mertz, our starting quarterback. That was announced on Saturday, or that happened on Saturday, was announced on Sunday by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reporter Jeff Patrikas, who breaks a lot of this Badger stuff. Usually a very trustworthy reporter, been on the beat for 25 years. Um, Definitely the guy to look to for all this stuff. Uh, and then that Mertz test, as you mentioned, was confirmed today. I believe that was by CBS Sports, uh, was confirmed to have to be a second positive, which then triggers that 21-day quarantine thing, uh, where it's 21 days, no games. But if you, from what I understand, and this is still confusing policy to me a little bit, but if you pass a test with a cardiologist and you've passed X number of COVID tests negative, I, I don't know what that number is, actually. Like, I remember Nick Saban, I remember he had to take, like, three, right? Like, I don't... I didn't actually see anything in the Big Ten protocol. I've been looking at it all day and trying to figure it out more. I didn't see anything in the Big Ten protocol about you have to take this many tests and they all have to be negative in this amount of time. Didn't see that. The only thing I saw was 21 days, no games. Not even about practices. That was not practice. That was not working out with your teammates. That was just games. Then, of course, we find out that Chase Wolf, the backup to Graham Mertz, who's actually the backup to Jack Cohn, so now we're at QB3 if we start the year over, is out of practice on Monday, then news comes in from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel that he also tested positive for COVID. Don't know about the timeline of that. 
Don't know if it was also on Saturday. Don't know if it was on Monday. Just know he didn't practice Monday. COVID test confirmed uh, yesterday. And now we have information from Matrikas, as you said, to close it all out. But the Badgers game is in jeopardy. Uh, I've heard rumblings about different other things that I can't really comment on just because they're not clear enough and out there. But what what that report leads all of us to think is there's probably more where this came from uh, in terms of positive tests. We don't know numbers, don't know players, coaches, all that. That isn't out. But that Jeff report today, that last one from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel that just came in a few hours ago, a few hours before recording here on Tuesday night, uh, did say that the game is in jeopardy. So is there any uh, speculation where these uh, COVID, uh, where they could have been infected with COVID? I mean, was it from a game? I mean, what, no, and that's, no, and that's hard. We know that we know for a fact that Grammar's tested negative on Friday. Uh, for a fact, because Wisconsin released an email to us. Only thing they said in that email to the media was we can confirm that nobody was on the field on Friday participating in the game. They use the word participating in the game, which was, okay. I thought, interesting wording. Participated in the game on Friday and had a positive COVID test on Friday prior to the game. So Mertz obviously participated in the game, participated very well in the game, I might add. Uh, and then had the negative test or the positive test, sorry, on Saturday. I right. uh, don't so know the source, though. don't know the source of like the outbreak or if there's like a person before him that is the reason for the out- Don't know that. Yeah. But you would suspect that there's additional other than these quarterbacks, right? Um, I mean, it, it's hard to it's hard to say, but given the report from Jeff today, it it looks I mean, it looks like there's going to be something else that comes out tomorrow. That's what I would okay. say. All right. Uh, so let's move forward as if the game was going to happen. So if the game does happen, who do you expect to take over at quarterback? So right now it's Danny Vandenboom, who is QB4. If you come into the year and you're thinking Jack Cohn's the starter, we're at number four now. We have a fifth on the roster. Uh, don't expect him to play. So Danny Vandenboom is the four. If you're looking at other QB options, Garrett Groshek played QB in high school. He's Wisconsin's lead running back alongside Nakia Watson. He was actually recruited as a as a quarterback, as a walk-on at Wisconsin. Played a lot of Wildcat QB, has some ridiculous high school tape, just running over people. We could see him in the Wildcat more often if Danny Vandenboom is the starter. Wouldn't be surprised to see that. But it will be Danny Vandenboom who has thrown one career pass in his Wisconsin career. That pass, by the way, was a touchdown pass to okay. Taj Mustafa in 2018. So he's a perfect one-for-one one with one touchdown. We don't want to ruin the greatest QBR in Wisconsin football history, but might have to <laughs> this week. So, well, there's, go ahead, Tyler. So, so moving on on that, obviously the concern right now on this podcast is the Nebraska game, the Wisconsin game this weekend. So moving forward, obviously this protocol, a lot of is up in the air. But if I'm a Wisconsin fan right now, I'm concerned what the rest of my season looks like. Um, you know, obviously the Big Ten has really, really tight requirements and a lot of players sit out. As a Wisconsin fan, as a writer, it, What's the feel? Is there a lot of concern more than just Saturday, more than just Mertz being out or a couple quarterbacks, but that your season where you guys were, you know, among the favorites, if not the clear favorite for the West is up in the air. I mean, anytime you hear a report from a really trusted reporter like that saying, and it was a very vague report. I don't know if you guys have read the article or seen the tweet. It was very vague. All it really said was the Nebraska game is in jeopardy. 
So absolutely, that sets off, right, all kinds of speculation, rumor, everyone losing it, because it was very vague. We don't have a lot of details surrounding this. And you wonder, why don't we have details? Why don't we have numbers of people that have tested positive? Why don't we have that? Well, part of it is legal. Wisconsin can't release names, as Nebraska can, as any college can't, due to HIPAA law. But Nebraska, or Wisconsin could release numbers, and they were releasing numbers in the summer. They've declined basically anything you try to ask them about all week. They gave us a depth chart yesterday, and this to me just leads just leads to more panic, right? They gave us a depth chart yesterday where they normally give us a depth chart on a Monday. It came late, and it was the exact same depth chart from a week ago, which, first of all, would just never happen in normal circumstances. There'd be some change there. I mean, that doesn't – you guys know that doesn't happen from week to week in the Big Ten. It's not the exact same or designation here or uh, the exact same starter there. It was literally copy and pasted uh, from a week ago. They canceled player availability on Monday. We did talk to Paul Christ on Monday, but like everyone else has said, he opened the press conference by saying, I will not comment on anything COVID related because I can't, because I shouldn't. That was, yeah. that, that's me paraphrasing, but that was very close to the exact quote there. So yeah, I think it's the uncertainty the, and, and the vagueness right now that leads to a lot of fans rumbling and wondering if the game's going to happen and if the season's going to happen, obviously. Yeah, so I guess where Tyler was kind of coming from, you know, we see speculation that if this game doesn't happen, then the next two games could possibly be in jeopardy as well, right? And so is, is that what you're seeing also? Well, it's confusing because I've actually, I have, you got me at the right time because I spent literally all day today looking at the Big Ten protocol, writing about it, right? Trying to dig into it. And it's pretty confusing. Uh, so just to break it down to you guys from what I've learned today and, and studied today, uh, is that the Big Ten requires you? Have you guys seen the 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 green, orange, red thing? The whole yeah. color system they got going on. Okay, so that's about two different things. That's a test positivity rate and population positivity rate. Population meaning the entire team, and it's on a seven day rolling average. So it's not about like did they all test positive today. It's about over the last seven days of all the tests done on that day, uh, how many positives were there, and you take the seven day average there. And that's your positivity rate, test positivity rate percentage. And then you have the population, which is just how many players are positive out of the whole team and staff. And not just players, staff, right? Anybody that's involved with the football program, how many are positive. And that num- those numbers would have to be at 5% of the test positivity rate over the last seven days and 7.5% uh, over the last seven days. And that's on a rolling basis. So like, if you look at tomorrow, you can only look tomorrow, you'd start last Wednesday. Or today, you'd start last Tuesday. And both of those numbers have to be in that red threshold for the Big Ten to say, Wisconsin, you can't play on Saturday. Wisconsin can themselves, if they're not in the red-red, decide we're not playing on Saturday. That's up to them. In fact, I'll re- it, it was – talk about vague. I mean, geez, this, this policy was about as vague as you can possibly get. But if you're in the orange-red, which means if you have one of those two numbers in the red threshold – Here's what the the Big Ten says. I'll read it word for word. Quote, team must proceed with caution and enhance COVID-19 prevention, alter practice and meeting schedule, consider viability of continuing with scheduled competition, end quote. Hmm. So that's the only direction they gave the schools, if you're orange-red. So so what you're saying, and the way that I've interpreted this as well, is if it is orange-red, it is up to the discretion of the Wisconsin staff and the university officials if they want to proceed on Saturday. And, you know, as a Nebraska fan, 
you know, not not saying you guys are scared because obviously you guys have owned us. But if I'm on my fourth string quarterback, I mean, that that is not a game that maybe is worth having. Uh, is there any fear if the Big Ten isn't mandating? Is this a situation where the, the team has had some losses at critical positions and says, let's get another week in there? Is there any thought on that? I I would be shocked if and actually, no, I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase that. There's no there's no possible chance Wisconsin's even considering the possibility of oh we have to play the game without a court. that's not that is absolutely not within the thought process but I get why fans would go there uh, especially like Nebraska fans would want to go there but that is not at all what they're dealing with right now um, they got they have some bigger problems obviously like first of all are they going to be red red if they're not red red they're also dealing with a campus right that has been hit really hard they're dealing with a community that's been hit really hard. Um, you know, do they, and we hear the word optics all the time, like, like how great would it, how great would that look, uh, to play a game? I mean, that's, that's already a bigger, uh, issue if you're in orange red than, you know, thinking about, oh, we have a fourth string quarterback. And then they have the issue of, of like the health of players and especially right if staff were to get it even, even more just based on numbers we see, uh, like if an older staff member were to get it, that's a whole other issue. And we don't know any staff members that have it, uh, but I mean, it could it could absolutely be the case, right? Like, if you have two quarterbacks that have it confirmed, and one played on Friday, I mean, it's not like it wouldn't be insane for that to come out. We don't know yet. That's just I mean, we don't know. But I, I don't think that's part of the the discussion. So you know, as a Wisconsin fan, I bet everybody was devastated when they heard about Graham Mertz because he looked phenomenal against Illinois, putting up great numbers uh, in his first game. So what was kind of like that quarterback battle there between him and Jack Cohn? And do you think Mertz, had he been healthy, would he have been the starter for the rest of the year? Yeah, so no, so Jack Cohn was actually the guy, and Jack Cohn would have been the guy all year, except he broke his foot mm-hmm. just uh, a month before the season was to begin on a, on a non-contact practice injury where he was just literally dropping back, broke his foot. I mean, it just it was just a freak injury. And that let Graham Mertz take the reins, take the starting job, and – that would have been a really interesting debate and a much more fun one to talk about. Like if Jack Cohn was healthy, right. And he's coming back and Graham's looked amazing. Then what do you do? And that would have been, I have no idea. I really don't have any idea. And I think people would automatically say, well, obviously Graham's going to play. I actually don't think that's the case at all. I think that would have been a really interesting decision for the university to make and for the coaches to make. So that that's, that's implying that Jack Cohn will come back at all this season. He's out indefinitely, still indefinitely. And so there's no like timeline for him right now that I know that's clear. Uh, and it's a broken foot, so and it's only eight weeks, so it's not it's not a ton of time for him to get healthy. But yeah, it was Jack, then it was Graham, and then it was I guess Chase for about an hour, and then Jeff <laughs> ended that one. Now it's Danny. Are we playing? Twenty twenty. I don't know. Twenty twenty. You know, you know, you know. I'll add this, and uh, not nothing against Graham Mertz because he looked phenomenal. I mean, just phenomenal against uh, Illinois, but it was Illinois, and. We don't know that he would have automatically come out and look like that for the rest of the season. Like, if he struggles at all and Jack Cohn comes back healthy, I could see a good scenario where they put Jack Cohn back in. But if he looks like he does against Illinois going into three or four weeks, I struggle to see him putting Jack Cohn back in, really. Yeah, I could agree with that for sure. Like, it would be based on his performance. But I think the interesting thing is that no matter how well he performed, I really do think there'd be some argument there and like some thought there to putting Jack Cohn back in no matter what uh maybe if maybe if Graham all right maybe if Graham like goes off against Michigan right or like something something like against a really top tier 
Big Ten opponent, then then I could see it not really being a discussion. But that would have been an interesting discussion. I mean, it's not that that discussion can't happen a couple weeks down the road, but we do know Graham, this is confirmed, Graham's out 21 days. So, so moving on a little bit to that Illinois game, um, you know, Wisconsin, when I, when I think of Wisconsin football over the last 20 years, um, they've been a run the ball team. Obviously, Graham Mertz had an incredible game um, on the running side. It left a little bit to be desired. Um, 182 yards, a little over three, 3.3 yards a carry. Um, not exactly the stat line you expect to see from the Badgers. You know, as 2020 goes on and you see this team, is there any concerns right now about the running game? Definitely. I think more than this Wisconsin team has had in years, right? Like, even after just one week, that's the expectation level we have in the backfield. That's what we we expect such high things that week one wasn't it. And did it matter in the end? No, obviously not at all. But would it matter if we ran the ball like that against Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game? You, you better believe it. Like We're not beating Ohio State running the ball like that, right? We're not beating Michigan running the ball like that. Uh, heck, if we're down to Danny Vandenboom, we're not beating Nebraska running the ball like that. Uh, so um, with Mertz, a uh, different story. But uh, running running the ball uh, has, to, has to improve. And the question is, who's the one? Is it Garrett Groshek? Is it Nakia Watson? Is it Isaac Arundo? All three of which got double-digit carries in week one. It's by committee right now, and I do think someone would have to step forward for us to feel a little more comfortable going in week by week in the running back room. And obviously, we've had Jonathan Taylor to step in for the last three years, so we're very spoiled. I, you know, what, just to add to that, uh, here, here would be the concerning part, on, on, my, on my part at least. Uh, it was going up against an Illinois defense that ranked 103rd last year in yards per game rushing. So it's, it's a team you would expect to run the ball all over. And uh, like you said, if you do that against a bigger team or, or a better team, uh, that's it's just not uh, Wisconsin's bread and butter. And I, I, I agree. I think it comes, becomes very concerning at that point. Yeah, it was definitely the biggest concern out of week one. I mean, as big of a concern as you can have, right, in, in a win like that, I'd say was that. And I thought that was kind of a theme around the Big Ten. Like, even in your guys' game, when I watched that Ohio State game, that did not feel like a 52-17 game at all. And that's a compliment to you guys. Like, you guys look better than I thought you'd look. Ohio State looked worse than I thought they'd look. And still, they covered a spread. But a couple mistakes here and there. And that, that last second touchdown that shouldn't have happened uh, is the reason that was a bigger margin. So, I feel like, right, like, you can't you can't really dig deep into a 45-7 to win or a 52-17 to win. But both of those wins, there are issues there for Wisconsin and for Ohio State going forward. And I think Wisconsin's was the running back room. Well, I think you would say Ohio State. I think Ohio State woke up after that game, and you know there was a lot of talk about how many carries Justin Fields wanted to have, and he was really the rushing game. So, but the, I, I am not concerned about Wisconsin's running game, and and the reason is is because of their offensive line. So, if you wouldn't mind, you know, we're one game in. You know, I had Wisconsin pegged as either the one or number two offensive line in the Big Ten, a spot that they have held, you know, for Nebraska's time in the Big Ten. You know, but you do have some new faces in there. How how did you break down the offensive line week one? Um, well, the the funnest, the most funnest. That, that's like an English one on one. The most fun, the most fun story on the offensive line, and maybe the most fun story going into the year uh, was John Dietzen. So I don't know if you guys have heard this story, but uh, Dietzen was out all year uh, last year, and basically, and this wasn't like obviously he's back now, so this didn't happen, but basically retired from football. Uh, his body had enough. He was done. He was a starter in 2018, a really good starter in 2018 on the line. 
he had made 32 starts before last season happened. And last year he decided, I'm done. I'm hanging it up. My body's had enough. It happens. You guys, you guys know what happens in football sure. uh, more than other sports, right? Like you'll, you'll hang it up earlier than you might think with certain guys. Uh, and he's back. Uh, and that, that was fun to see. I think that the running thing was, was honestly more on backs than on the line. Uh, you can see that with the way they protected Graham Mertz, first of all, gave him all day uh, quite a bit. And that's against the 4-3. So they're not, it's not like Illinois is just sending three and saying, you know, please beat us over the air. Uh, they were – the Illinois defense also was catered to the run a lot. There, were, there was a lot of times where uh, you had eight, nine Illini defenders in the box. And was con- that, that was what they were gearing to stop and saying, let, let's, let's let Graham Mertz beat us. And Graham Mertz did beat them uh, through the air. But to me, it was more of something we saw from Nikki Watson last year, too where he just doesn't have that Le'Veon Bell-like patience. Like, you know how Le'Veon in his prime would, like, just take that second to survey? And JT, too, where he just kind of come up to the line, take that split half-second second, and then make a decision. It almost feels like Nikhil Watson, like when a hitter in baseball is pre-planning what they're going to do on a pitch and they look foolish, it almost feels like he's just kind of deciding, here's what I'm going to do on this run and not reading and reacting a little bit. And that'll get you a 10-yard carry here or there, but it'll also get you a lot of, you know, nothing. So that's an issue going forward that I think he's going to improve upon and address. All right. You know, all I'll add this before we get into the defense is there's nothing wrong with uh, Nekia Watson. I believe I I know I'm butchering his name. I'm not good at names. Uh, And and Groshek. I know he's a good athletic ability. And but the problem is, to me, I think you have some really good backs where in the past you always had great backs. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, between Monte Ball and uh, uh, J- uh, Jonathan Taylor, uh, I mean, the list goes on, Melvin Gordon, and it just doesn't seem like you have the playmaker right now. Like, may- maybe one of them becomes that, but right now it doesn't seem like you have that. Totally, and going into the year that was known, like it was known that this thing would be by committee. It was known they didn't have, you know, I mean, to call Jonathan Taylor great is literally an understatement. Like he, he's maybe oh, the absolutely. back. Yeah, he's maybe he the, was, maybe he the was best underestimated in the Heisman votes by yeah. more than anybody else uh, out there because he was one. He was yeah. the best back in in the damn 100%. college football last year. He got jobbed. It's a whole it's a whole different level we're talking about. So it's obviously unfair to right think that a trio can come in and produce that. But Wisconsin backs are going to be by committee. But like I said earlier, I do think one will have to step forward. Will it be Groshig? Will it be Nikia Watson? Will Isaac Arendo find himself? He's very young, only had one carry all of last year. He was more of a guy in the return game that was used in special teams. So will he step forward? It'll be interesting to see. Hopefully we'll obviously get to see. <laughs> all right, well, let's move on to defense here. Uh, you know, Brandon Peters is not really known for running the ball. Matter of fact, last year he ran 65 times for 213 yards at 2.8 yards per carry. Uh, in, in this one particular game, he kind of torched your defenses. I mean, it was only seven times, but he had 75 yards for 10.71 yards a carry. Uh, does that scare you coming into Nebraska, knowing they have two quarterbacks who can run the ball well? Uh, what, what's the concern there? Yeah, it does. And it's not something that just happened in that one game. This was actually – this has been a problem for a couple of years. Uh, this is a problem against Nebraska over the last couple of years. Adrian Martinez running against us. Uh, and – the plays that allowed Brandon Peters to have some big gains, I think Nick Herbig broke contain. Who's like he's a, he's a freshman backer. He made a mistake, broke contain once. Brandon Peters had a 35-yard run. So like it was a couple of huge plays and a couple of big mistakes by young 
players in this new look defense, not new look, but new personnel for sure with two linebackers in the NFL with Chris or Zach Bond gone. You replace them with a true freshman like Nick Herbin making his first start. He's going to make some mistakes. You also had a sack in that game. So you're going to get some good, some bad with the young backers. But I definitely think it's a concern. And I think it's something that it was actually the one thing that was addressed by Jim Leonard where he was like, that was that was not it. Uh, talking about that, uh, talking about it after the game, Tim and Paul Chris both mentioned that that was that was that was a problem. We got to clean that up. All right. Uh, so Illinois was not a good running team last year. They lost their best back. Uh, you still gave up, I believe it was three point eight two yards per carry. Was that right? If I remember, I think so. Uh, last year, you guys only gave up like three point two yards per carry the whole year. And Nebraska actually averaged three point, or I'm sorry, seven point three eight yards per carry because you really struggled to stop Dedrick Mills. Uh, we have this essentially the same offensive line. We have Dedrick Mills back uh, again. Is there another concern with Dedrick trying to stop Dedrick Mills at this point? Yeah, I think Nebraska is going to score points. I think that their Week One offense was one of my biggest surprises in the Big Ten. They still lost, right, like they did, but that offense looked good. I don't have to tell you guys. I'm sure you've been. You know that the offense looked better than at least I thought it would. I don't know if you guys had those expectations, but I know you only put 17 up, but it's against the, it's against an NFL team. So I mean, what can we really what can we really say? Looked explosive. Tanner McCaffrey is fun, right? Like like he, he he's gonna break a big player too. Uh, basically every week I feel like not just against Wisconsin, but every week that's gonna be a big play waiting to happen. So I definitely think that. Honestly, credit more to Nebraska's offense, how they looked last week, than our defense, because our defense is going to be one of the best in the country no matter what. But especially at this early stage, we've already seen great offense beating great defense in college football. So I think we could see a case of that and a high-scoring game. All right, Asher, we're going to get you out of here after this. Uh, we're going to talk. Uh, I know you want to get to your Dodgers game here. That's going to that first pitch. So uh, let's do a round of score predictions, and we're going to start with you. How do you think this game's going to pl- uh, play out? And what's your score prediction? I would go, I think it's going to be, man, I mean, so let's let's assume in this score prediction I'm going DVB is the starter, which really looks like the only option right now. Danny Vandenboom starts the game. He's thrown one pass in his entire career. I think the Badgers find a way. I do. I think it's going to be a one-score game. I think Wisconsin's going to give up points. I think the Badgers need a big special teams play. They need some big, big score that's not a defensive touchdown. They need They need scoring. That's not from offense to win this game, but I think the defense is more than capable to score. Uh, they it feels like they do it almost every week, honestly, over the last couple of years. Find a way uh, to get a touchdown there. So I'm going to go 31-28. Wisconsin wins, uh, and a defensive touchdown helps them. Okay, Derek, what's your score prediction? All right, well, I, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit because I, I I think both teams are going to struggle to score a little bit in this game. Uh, no, Nebraska's defense really did. I thought looked better in this against Ohio State. I mean, I know I know that I know the score doesn't doesn't really prove that. I know we gave up a lot of yards, but they did do a good job of stopping the run, and I think that's what Wisconsin is going to have to rely on. And I think we'll continue to fairly find a good way to stop the run. I don't have much faith in a fourth string quarterback. I can't uh, say I do either. And, and so I, I think Nebraska finds a way to pull it up, pull it out with a 24-20 win. Okay. Tyler? Well, well let, let me defend uh, the Wisconsin guy on this. I used to live in Wisconsin. Yeah, I lived in Milwaukee for a few years. You know what Wisconsin hasn't needed to beat Nebraska in the past few years is a quarterback. Okay. 
Last year, they, they completed 13 passes. The year before that, 13 passes. The year before that, 9 passes. The year before that, 14 passes. The most passing yards Wisconsin has had against Nebraska in the last four years is 163 yards. And they've won these games all by double scores. I, I, I think you could put me back there throwing balls for Wisconsin, and they're still going to be able to play. They might now, have to, it, by the way. Hey, you know what? <laughs> I, I have some eligibility left. Uh, so put me – but no, I, I just don't think it's a point. I mean, I still – I'm not buying in the Illinois – I'm not buying the death of Wisconsin running the ball. And maybe it turns out Jonathan Taylor is they're, – they're the string of the great running games that we've seen in Wisconsin is maybe not dead, but maybe it's back. Um, I, I just – I think with that defense – Nebraska is not going to score 30 points, and I just don't see us completely stopping the run. And they, they've averaged 350 yards the last two years. I, it just, I think they're going to put up some yards. It's going to be the closest game we've seen in Wisconsin. Uh, but I still, unfortunately, think Nebraska is going to come up short. I think it's 28 to 24, um, Wisconsin. And fortunately, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Derek's right. But I, I just think that offensive line and that running game is too much for Nebraska to handle yet. Well, I had Graham Mertz. Had he been starting by? Score prediction would be way different. Wisconsin winning, but you know, Nebraska getting lucky here, so to speak, getting the fourth string uh, quarterback. I have Nebraska winning 27 24. Finally get the win against uh, the Badgers here. It's been too long. So, uh, yeah. So, two against two here. That's pretty interesting. I didn't think uh, my cousin Tyler would. Uh, Jump over Wisconsin, but that's I, okay. I, I, I'm rooting for Nebraska. I'm hoping I'm wrong, but uh, I, I, I'm not. But I'm not predicting with my heart. So, <laughs> all right, Asher, uh, throw out your Twitter handle and uh, go ahead and plug your podcast. Yeah, definitely uh, at Locked On Badgers. Listen when you guys can Monday through Friday. Obviously, with Nebraska week, I'll have assuming we get some more information tomorrow and game is all a go and everything, and we can start previewing more than focusing on all the testing and stuff uh i'll have some good nebraska preview for husker fans uh what huskers what the huskers could do against wisconsin to really attack them that's at locked on badgers wherever you get your podcast you'll find it um and at alw underscore 33 and at locked on badgers on twitter for all the info on the pod okay excellent thank you so much asher and uh have fun with those dodgers awesome thank you guys go blue <laughs> but not michigan's blue <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, that was a great interview, but it, now it's time for Games of the Week. Uh, I got to give the results of last week, which are, let's see here. I went 3-3, three and three, Tyler, you went 3-3, three and three, and Derek, you went 4-2. and two. So as the standing stand on the season, Tyler, you are killing it, man. 21-12 and 12 on the year. Me and Derek, we are tied at 18-15, and 15, so... Let's see if we can change it up. First game on the docket is number 17, Indiana. 11-point favorites at Rutgers. Tyler. Well, kudos to Rutgers. Uh, big victory last week against Michigan State. Um, also, don't be lost in that. Indiana had probably their biggest win in the last decade of that uh, organization, beating Penn State. Weird game that uh, Indiana game is. I like Indiana. I think they're a good team. I'm still not sold on Rutgers. I think that's more of Michigan State being that bad. I got Indiana in this game. Actually closer than the spread, though. All right, Derek? Uh, I, t I tend to agree. I do think that Indiana has a win that maybe shouldn't be there because I think it was a very bad call that they got that two-point conversion. 
Uh, it looked like he was down to me. No, no. The ball hit the ground before it hit the pile. It did Come not. On. It did too. Watch the slow plow, the slow ro- slow mo. Did. Uh, I watched it several times. Anyway. Uh, I do think Indiana will come out. I, I will say this. I think Noah Vedral might possibly be a better quarterback than uh, Michael Penix, judging by stats and the way he looked. Well, so Ruggers, they did have the benefit of seven turnovers also against Michigan State. I mean, kudos to Ruggers for uh, – and guess who called it? Who called it? I called Ruggers over Michigan State. Did I not? You guys are going silent here. This is your time to say, yes, Justin, you did it. You called it. All right. That's like the one game you've called right this whole season. So Huge. And, and it wasn't even a game of the week. Uh, it wasn't a game week like we would call that game. Anyway, I have Indiana in this one also. Indiana, they looked very impressive beating up Penn State. Ruggers look good. I think uh, Shiano's going to have them on the up. Uh, I brought up that seven turnovers. I think Indiana's going to cover this game, though. I really do. Uh Game number two, Texas at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is three-and-a-half-point favorites. Tyler. I, I don't get this spread. I think Oklahoma State wins this game. Um, I, I, I'm not buying Texas. I haven't bought them all year. Um, Oklahoma State's making a case for the college football playoff. I like them. This is kind of a marquee game for them. I think they're going to come out, play well, and win this game. Derek? Oklahoma State is being completely disrespected with the spread. Uh, they have a great defense. They're not giving up a lot of points. I know Texas is scoring a lot of points, but Oklahoma's defense is looking really good. Uh, problem is, is Texas has pretty much no defense, giving up over 32 points a game. Uh, I, I think Oklahoma State wins this game. Yeah, I agree with you with uh, Oklahoma State, but my God, they are probably the most boring uh, team that's in the top 10, top 15, maybe even top 20. They are a boring-ass team. If you try to watch it's, one of their games... It's, it's rough. definitely not a. It's definitely not a Oklahoma State team you would expect to see. Oh, I had Oklahoma they score, State. They don't score a lot of points. Yeah, I had Oklahoma State and Iowa State on this second TV on Saturday. God, what a snoozer, man. Uh, yeah, so Oklahoma State for me also. Uh, next game, Northwestern at Iowa. Unranked teams here. Iowa's two and a half point favorites. Tyler. Probably the toughest game of the weekend for me to call. Um, I know Iowa did not look impressive against Purdue, um, and that might be an understatement. It's one game I'm not going to write Iowa off, but I think Northwestern's defense is for real. Um, they were dominant against Maryland. Um, you know, I'm not going to write the jury out on their offense yet, but they obviously look good too. Um, I'm going to go with Northwestern in a very, very competitive game. Derek? Uh, let's not forget this Maryland team was a team that Nebraska beat like 56 to 7 last year or whatever the score was. Uh, Maryland's not a good team. Uh, that coach probably is the only coach in the Big Ten to get fired at the end of the season. Uh, so, I, so I'm not going to take too much into what uh, Northwestern did, but I am going to sell everything in the Iowa stock because you only scored 20 points on a Bob Diaco defense. Get the fuck out of here. They're they're done. <laughs> I wait. I wait. Win the game the rest of the year. What? That's a little excessive. I do like Northwestern. I was kind of impressed with what they did at Maryland. You know, a lot of concerns on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, Maryland would have to be super bad, which they are. But Northwestern, they put up a lot of points and they look good doing it. So give me Northwestern 
also. Uh, number 16, Kansas State at West Virginia. West Virginia's three and a half point favorites. Tyler. Yeah, um, probably the second toughest game. Um, really good game here. Um, I'm going to give the edge to West Virginia. I think that defense is just, you know, besides Oklahoma State and maybe including Oklahoma State, that defense is among the best in the Big 12. Um, I got West Virginia. West Virginia. All right, Derek. Ah, you're full of shit. Uh, West Virginia lost to Texas Tech last week. Therefore, I think they get hammered by Kansas State. Yeah, you I, lost to a gar- you lost to a garbage team, and I think Kansas State since they've been since the Arkansas State game has played very good football. They've been playing great football. Their defense is tough. Uh, they're 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 doing it all. I, I like Kansas State also in this one. Uh, final game, game of the week here. Number three, Ohio State, 12.5-point favorites at number 18, Penn State. Tyler? Yeah, um, you know, what? Penn State has lost their two best running backs for the season. Um, you know, Clifford uh, did not play the best game against Indiana, but that defense, even without Micah Parsons, looked really good against Indiana. Um, Ohio State wins this game, but uh, I, I won't be shocked if this uh, Penn State covers the spread on this one. I, I think this is going to be a little bit closer than that. I'm not, I wouldn't bet it, but it, it, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. But Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten, maybe the best team in the country. This is their probably among their toughest tests in the Big Ten. They're going to win this game. Derek? Fun fact, uh, both quarterbacks from both schools are also their leading rushers. Uh at the end of the day, Ohio State's a better team. Uh, Penn State doesn't have a rushing game without uh, two running backs. I I don't think you can rely on Clifford to run the ball that much. I think Ohio State not only wins but covers this spread easily. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I already bet the game yesterday when I saw the line. I was kind of shocked that it was that low. Uh but I, I took Ohio State. I don't know how Penn State's going to stop Ohio State if they couldn't stop Indiana. So, yeah, Indiana's without a lot of weapons here. So, Ohio State for me. Uh, best bet segment. Uh, this, is, this is our segment against the spread. Tyler, me and you, we hit our best bets last week. So, I move up the rankings. for. I'm at 2-4. and four. Tyler, you're at 3-3. Three, three. Derek, you missed last week. You're 3-2-1. and one. Still a winning record, but barely. Let's see if we can all get wins here. Tyler, what's your best bet for the week? That would be rare. Um, I've been doing these over-unders all year. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to take an under, though, this week. Um, I'm going to take the under of Iowa State versus Kansas at 52 points. Guys, Kansas hasn't scored over 14 points all year. And Iowa State's offense isn't really known for blasting the country. I think this is going to be a pretty low-scoring game. I can see this being like a 31-14 type game and easy easy under there. I, I got the under that game. Great pick. I like that. Derek? Uh, I, I'm going to stick with the over-unders too. But I'm going to go with a game we've already talked about, Indiana and Rutgers. Uh, you know... That that's it's uh, fifty two and a half. I think the over in this is so easy. Both teams scored. I mean, uh, Indiana scored thirty six points on a on a good Penn State defense. Uh, I, I don't know what to take out of Rutgers, but I think they're still gonna. I mean, Indiana gave up thirty five points, so I think they'll give up some points to Rutgers too. So 
I think the 52 and a half is easy. Yeah. You know what? I like both your picks this week, and uh, this might be the first week that I actually take, that I actually use both your picks. Uh, my best bet, man, is right now it's going to go against Maryland, whoever they're playing. Now, Minnesota's playing Maryland this week. 19, I got them at 19 and a half. And uh, Maryland, they were so bad. North Northwestern looked like geniuses against them. I think Minnesota's they're going to come out of that Michigan game just really pissed off. And they're just going to light it up. So uh, Minnesota easily by three touchdowns. So thoughts? All right. Well, thanks again to Asher Lowe for joining us to talk Wisconsin. Special thanks to Connor Russell for putting this audio together for us. Be sure to follow the Husker Cuzcast on Twitter at Husker Cuzcast. Like us on Facebook. Look for episodes on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Hit the subscribe button and don't forget to rate review. On behalf of Derek and Tyler, we want to thank everybody for listening. And as always, go Big Red. And let's hope there's going to be a damn game this weekend, man. Mm -hmm.